The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Today we are starting a new series um, called Savvy Faith. And the reason I'm, I'm doing these next three sermon series is one in February is called Savvy Faith because my daughter's name is Savannah. And uh, one is in March called Something Like Silas. That's my middle child, my current favorite. And then uh, in April, we're doing um, Beloved, which is the meaning of Jackson's name, Loved by God. And the reason I'm doing this is because no matter what happens, if my kids go off the rails like pastor's kids so often do, um, and, and I know it's going to happen, they'll, they'll at least listen to the sermon series that was based on their names because vanity. Um, so that's why we're doing this, but also so that we can understand some of the rhythms as we seek to do what our chapel family, I believe, is called to do this year, which is fill every street in our communities, on our workplaces with the love of Jesus by being present there, by praying often, and by throwing parties in Jesus' name. So that's why we're doing this first one called Savvy Faith. And um, for those of you who know my kids, Savannah is probably the least um, savvy of my children. Um, Jackson has a brain uh, the, the size of Pinky in the brain, for those of you who know that 90s cartoon reference. Um, Silas is, is just my bruiser, very compassionate. Savannah is how I've affectionately called her to you, my she-hulk. She likes to destroy. She... Um, She's the youngest of three currently. She'll be the, young, she'll be the, the middle child soon. She's, she's going to get middled this June when Bella Rose is born. But for now, she's the youngest, and her brother, she's got to keep up with them. And God made her big. Like, she outweighs Silas already. Um, she outviolences both of my kids combined already, which I'm, I'm grateful for. But one of the prayers that I prayed for Savannah right when she was born was, Lord, I pray that, that you would raise up a woman of God who would be shrewd and cunning and wise and able to see through the messages that this world tries to throw at us. Uh, so that's still my prayer for her, that she would have this cunningness about her. Now, I don't know if that's like a great thing to pray, uh, but it felt right when my daughter was born because I see this culture, the way that it devours men and women respectively with the messages that they're bombarded with. And and being not a female, I just watch that subculture from a distance saying, man, it must be hard because the messaging toward what it means to be a healthy, happy, whole female is so different oftentimes from what the Bible says. So that's why I prayed for her to be savvy and cunning and shrewd. But today, I want to talk about us as a church, what it means to have a savvy faith and how we can share the good news of Jesus with others because it is a very daunting task at times. So I've titled this morning's message, Professional People Watching. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, uh, if you want to flip to Acts chapter 17. And anytime during this uh, message, you can uh, text, my, my number will be up there, you can feel free to text in questions because we are talking about sharing the good news of Jesus in a culture that is often against the principles of God. So I want to have this open for you so you can say, well, what about this scenario? What about this belief? And we will do our best to answer as many questions as possible, and then I'll make a follow-up video if I don't get to answer all the questions. So Acts 17... And just to set it up for you, uh, this is Paul, the apostle. He has been preaching the good news of Jesus in the city of Athens. And the religious people, the non, these are Grecian, Greek people, they have a f- philosophical religion. They heard about this good news of Jesus and they wanted to know more. So they're going to bring Paul in to their court where they basically trade spiritual ideas. So this is, what I'm gonna, this is why I'm calling it professional people watching. Um, when you have eyes to see what other people are going through, it will give you the ability to better enter into their story in a way that's genuine and meaningful. And we're going to see Paul do this. So we're going to pray, read a little, talk a little. Uh, Father, 
Lord, today we need to have your eyes to see others around us as you see them, to enter into people's stories with empathy and sympathy, to enter into other people's stories with a genuineness that just cares because they are human. God, for too long we've treated people like projects and and not like people with their individual stories, pains, hurts, hopes, and dreams. So I pray today that as we discuss one way to share the good news of Jesus, that, that we would become aware of those around us, that we wouldn't let people walk by us that are in pain without noticing. God, this is all for you. It's all about you. So I pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So here's Paul. He's about to go into this court of religious people. He's about to enter into the lion's den. And it's a very, very, very popular passage because he's been preaching the good news. Now, the gospel, we we say the word gospel. Some of you think of music with swaying, snapping, and clapping. Uh, The gospel just means good news. It comes from the word euangelion. So it's literally just news. Like when you get news that something happened, it's not necessarily a call to do something. It's just news. We know how the news affects us. I could say one word right now, and everyone that's over the age of like 20 would be like, oh, yes, news. I understand how news works. Are you ready for the word? Here's the one word that we've all, we're probably all tired of. Ready? Memo. Anyone else tired of that word? If I could never see another memo in my life, I'd be okay with it. I'm a news junkie. I love reading the news. But it's been one of these things in the news cycle where you're like, okay, what's going on? The memo, what's the memo? I read the memo. I didn't, I'm like, okay, there's the memo. That's it. Memo's done. Didn't affect me a lot. But the news of Jesus is very, very important. So here's the gospel at its core. I'm going to read a few synopsis of it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So the good news is that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. That's, his, that's it. So if I said, go out and share the good news today, you could say to someone, hey, Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. And I don't know if you're like me, I don't know when you grew up, but I remember the first time people approached me um, with, with the good news, I wasn't super receptive to it. And back in the day, there were various ministry programs, and there's still a lot of them, and they do a lot of great things. But one of the ones that always bugged me were the people that would come to my door, and the very first question out of their mouth would be, do you know where you would go if you die today? Because I find that extremely threatening, and I'm large and angry. So this is just a pro tip. If you want to evangelize people, I would not recommend going up and down church view, knocking on doors, and as soon as somebody opens it, say, hey, do you know where you'll go if you'll die today? I mean, here's why. In California, it makes more sense because gun laws exist there. In Florida, it makes no sense because if you knock on random Floridian doors and say, do you know where you're going to go if you die today? Chances are likely the person facing you has firearms, like an AR-15 strapped to their inner thigh and a garter belt, okay? So you need to be careful. But, But on the flip note, too, it just doesn't make sense personally. Now, Paul wants us to understand, and Jesus wants us to understand that the gospel is good news. And I need to give us a few definitions, because if we don't know what the gospel is, we won't necessarily know how to share it. So I'm looking at it from different angles. If you think of it like a diamond, if the good news of Jesus is a diamond, you can look at it through different facets, 
And every time you look at it through a different facet, the light shines a little bit of a different way. And that's what the Bible is. The Bible as a whole prevents us, presents us with different angles to look at this amazing news of God. So I'm going to read a few of these gospel summaries. The gospel is the good news that through Christ, the power of God's kingdom has entered into history to renew the whole world. When we believe and rely on Jesus's work and record rather than ours for our relationship to God. The gospel is the news of our being saved through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him. And then he restores creation in which we can enjoy our new life with him together forever. The gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope for. These are quotes from some of my favorite people that just distill it down. The gospel is a way that says if you come to Jesus, even if you aren't good and decent, even if you aren't wonderful, even if you are bad and atrocious, if you have a terrible record, you can come to Jesus to find God. And you might say, how can that be? The gospel is simple. He lived the perfect life because we could not. He died the death we deserved because we would not. And we believe in him. And that's all the gospel is. It's not uh, a list of things you have to do and then God loves you. It's you believe in him. And you receive the good news. Now, as we go into the passage for this morning, I need you to understand that this is one way that Paul shares the good news of Jesus. But God can break into somebody's life through a variety of ways. This is going to be, I'm a little bit nerdier today, but I need to tell you a story just so you can understand that it's not always nerdy ways that get people. Because this Wednesday, um, I've been pinch hitting in the middle school um, for, for youth group. And they do this thing called Remix, which is where it's, it's like glorified karaoke with a tad of Jesus in it. And I don't like Remix. I'm like, yeah, I'm just not going to tell the middle schoolers that we're doing it. So the high schoolers show up, and the middle schoolers show up this Wednesday night. And, um, and I'm, I said, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to play some songs on my guitar. But then I thought, I'm terrible at the guitar, so I'm going to call someone who plays the guitar. So I, I messaged Jared, uh, one of our members here, about three hours before youth group. I said, hey, could you play a couple songs for youth group tonight? Just so the... the middle schoolers and high schoolers can worship because we don't do that very often in youth group and we need to and he said sure so then 50 minutes before it started he messaged a couple of his friends and said hey can you come over and help me lead a couple songs for the youth group and they said sure with 50 minutes notice now one of these people is the worship pastor from grace methodist church uh, and then a drummer that we know so it was really cool because it knocked a bunch of things off of my bucket list one churches working together two people singing to god in the youth group And what happened after they got there was incredible because they rehearsed for all of 10 minutes. So it wasn't polished. There were notes out of tune. There were beats that were not right. But as they sang, something began to happen in this room this Wednesday night. There was a a presence that was felt by everybody. And then uh, one of our high school leaders got up and Derek spoke for a moment and said, if anyone's hurting, raise your hand. And all of the youth were like, I'm I'm hurting. I feel alone. I, I need something. And then they sang another song. And then there was no sermon, there was no remix. I, I dragged this cross over the middle. I said, if you need prayer, just come up and pray. And that was it. And the leaders came up, the youth leaders, and one at a time, some middle schoolers and some high schoolers came up. And then all of a sudden, I, I look out and I'm realizing everyone here is weeping. And they're crying. And then there was only five leaders uh, up here. And so then the students started praying with each other. And all I was doing, I'd, I had music on, and I would read a Bible passage. And then I'd say, okay, God, what's the next one? And then after a couple minutes, I'd, say, I'd read this Bible passage. 
And by the end of the night, there were a group of high schoolers and middle schoolers around the cross, holding hands, singing their own worship songs. People had given their lives to Jesus for the very first time. Some people, that was their very first church experience. I mean, imagine the shock when they go back to a regular church gathering. They're like, this was church? We cry? We're free? Jesus? Yeah! And then they're going to go to a study, and we're like, wait, we have to read? What? This is a, like a bait and switch. I don't want to get it. You know. Now, God can work in, in so many different ways, but I need us to understand that when we, when we get ourselves into a place where we are observing and entering into people's stories, it will make it more likely that the conduit for God's spirit and the conduit for God to bring people in will happen more frequently. Because I, I wish that we could replicate what happened on Wednesday. One of the middle schoolers, in fact, told me, uh, she came up afterwards and said, Pastor Ryan, can you please do whatever you just did to us, to the adults on Sunday? And I said, no, because I, I don't control God. He controls me. And she said, just use the same words and make them cry. And I'm like, no, no, no. A, they won't do it because adults are way more hard-hearted than you guys. And B, um, I can't tell God, God, now is the day. Otherwise, I'd do it every single day. So they, they still, they're going to be here second service, and I'm terrified because I'm sure she's going to come up and say, you didn't do what you said. And I'm like, I didn't say I would do anything. God is him, you know. Uh, but, but we have to prepare our hearts. And, and Paul shows us a model for this. And this is not going to be for everybody. But here's his model for how he enters into the lives of others. And this is a very intellectual model, which will appeal to some of you and not others. So verse 23, this is Paul entering into the courts. He's about to enter in, and he wants to bring the Spirit, and it's not going to be through the music. It's not going to be um, through anything other than Paul entering right into the heart of this story and the story of these people. Verse 23 of Acts 17 says, For as I passed along and observed objects of your worship, I found also on an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So Paul's walking along, there's gods everywhere. And this is in um, Athens. So you, you think of Zeus, you think of Aphrodite, you think of all these gods and these different idols, and they wanted to cover their bases, so they, they worshipped all the gods, and they didn't want to miss one, so they said, we're just going to put one to the unknown God, so if that God shows up and he's angry, we can say, no, we had a spot for you, don't be mad. Now here's what's important. Paul is where the people are. He's where the people are. He's in Athens. He's in the city. And this is important for us as followers of Jesus because we tend to go where the people aren't. We, we tend to think that God works here, and then we go out there. Rather than doing what Paul did, Paul was present where the people were. He went into their places. He went into the, the commerce and the city centers, and he brought the good news of Jesus to them. And Paul was an excellent watcher and listener. He looked at what was going on around him. And here's what's important. Um, if, you, if you believe functionally that the world revolves around you, you will tend to be concerned with how other people are viewing you. As followers of Jesus, we need to be utterly and completely concerned with what is going on in the lives of others. This is why I love that God has hardwired me to be a people watcher. And I wouldn't call myself a professional people watcher, though I do people watch a lot. Paul was observing what the people were living for, um, and, and we can do that today now. Now, you're not going to go to someone's house, most likely, and see different statues of different religions. Although, in my grandparents' house where I grew up, because it was a, an Asian culture, and some came from China, and some were just um, rooted in the Spanish um, descent, because we're Filipinos, that's what we are. We're, we're Asians and Spaniards that vacationed on an island and made babies for a long time, and that's Filipinos, okay? So, 
So you have this Buddhist influence, and then you have this Catholic influence. And literally, in my grandparents' house growing up, there was this giant jade Buddha statue, and it was so cool and so beautiful, and right above it was this amazing picture done with bamboo of the Last Supper. And I didn't know any difference. I didn't know that that was confusing religiously. I just thought, you know, big Buddha, Jesus people. But I realize now that what was happening was that my my grandparents, and I found out later, they were at odds with their origin story because one had come from Chinese Buddhism um, heritage and the other one came from the Catholic Spanish descent. So they compromised and said, let's just put Buddha and Jesus together. And I was like, well, at least you put Jesus above Buddha because that makes more sense to me. But most of us aren't going to walk into someone's house and see that. Most of us need to get used to and understand that everyone has a story that's going on in their life at any given moment to be able to pay attention to people's body language and expressions, to be able to pay attention to what people complain about. Because every single human being is caught up in a a story. There's an origin story, there's a problem, there's something they're looking to to solve the problem, and then there's their idea of a perfect world. We all have this story arc, and the Bible has this same story arc. In the Bible, we call it creation, fall, where sin enters, redemption, where Jesus saves us from sin, and restoration, the new heavens and new earth. We are all in this story. Now, you may think, like, wait a second, creation, like, who am I? I want you to begin to ponder, what is your identity? Who do you see yourself as? Are you a father, brother, employee, employer? And then fall, what's broken in your life? What is it the thing that you complain about most? Because that's probably what's broken. Right now, in the next couple months, I know what many people are going to complain about, tax season. It's our favorite time of year. And you'll say, ah, taxes, ah, taxes. Some of you are going to say, yay, tax cuts. Some of you are going to say, ah, no, tax cuts. I don't know. I'm a pastor. We, I'm like, they say tax cuts. I'm like, I'm so poor. It doesn't even matter. I love this. I don't need to argue about this. But, but then what do you look to to solve your problem? That's your savior. Now, you may not ever call it a savior, but it is. You're looking to something to save you from the brokenness of your life. And then if I asked you, what does your perfect world look like? You might describe something where you have more money than you currently have. Your spouse is kinder than they currently are. Your kids are more obedient than they currently are. This is the story arc of our lives, and we can begin to pay attention to other people. We can do it through asking questions and genuinely listening, having empathy for people. I I love, and and don't be creeped out by this, okay, if you're one of my friends in here, Um, and I consider you all mostly friends. I love watching people. Like when when I talk to somebody instantly, and I can't turn it off anymore, which is somewhat of a negative sometimes, but I, I do this because I care, but when I talk to people, I look at the way they're facing me. And I don't think about it anymore. I used to think about it to train my mind. So like shoulders facing me, eye contact going on, legs crossed, arms crossed. So then I'm reading, okay, is she listening, open to it, not open to it? And then I'm looking at the way that they look, you know, because if they look to my right, they're generally remembering something. If they look to my left, they're generally fabricating something. And it's audio fabrication, visual fabrication, or remembering. Now, don't be creeped out. Because if I meet you and I find out that you're a rampant liar because I'm reading your body language, I love you just the same. Okay? And, and I do test questions to find out. I'll ask you, hey, how are you feeling about this? And I'll look at their eyes. Okay, that is correct. Like they're tracking with eye reading, lie detecting stuff. It is amazing. And then once you track them with a few questions, I'm like, oh, man. Now I can either use this for great evil or be Spider-Man and use it for great good. And I I like to enter into people's stories, not so I know more about what's going on behind their eyeballs, but so that I can step in and say, I I hear what you're saying. 
and I want to help you. I want to lift you up from where you are. And, and here's what Paul is about to do. He's walked in. He's observing the actions of all of these people. And he's not just jumping in and saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He steps in and he sees the longing of their hearts to please all of the gods. He's stepping in and he's saying, they even have one to an unknown God. How can I get into this situation? Now, this is very different from knocking on a door and saying, where are you going if you die today? This is me stepping in, and let's say for you, um, let's say it's your anxiety. Let's say you're an anxious person. You worry all the time. It's me stepping in and being actually concerned with what you're worrying about, and not just to get you to Jesus to short-circuit the process, but to say, what's causing the anxiety that's going on in your life? And some of you may say, well, you know, our finances, they've, been, they've just been on a decline. We can't make it to the next month. And then I just ask you, like, how, how can we help? How can I help you? What is going on? And maybe for you, it's, I just need to get another job. I just need to get a pay raise, a pay increase. So here's what people are, as they're telling me the story, I'm thinking, I, I understand this pain. I've been right where they're at. I want to empathize with them. I want to walk with them. But in the same token, I'm seeing the story arc. What's broken in their world, the fall, is that they don't have enough money. The Savior they're looking to is that if they get enough money, if they get a new job, if they get a raise, that will fix their problem and their anxiety will go away. But every one of us who has gotten a raise, gotten a new job, made more money, what happens to our anxiety? Does it go away? Does it vanish? All of a sudden, you go from, you know, college student making nine bucks an hour and then you get a salary and you're excited. Then you go up to 50,000, 80,000, 100,000. I've seen the story play out time and time again that no matter how much money you have, if you look to money to rescue you from your problems, you still have anxiety plaguing your soul. So then I want to enter into the story and say, you know, maybe it's something deeper than money that's causing this anxiety. Maybe there's a trust issue or a security issue, and we can look back to maybe where God can be the security that you're truly looking for. Now, this is a truncated version of this, but it's entering into someone's story rather than just shouting Jesus at their face, and that's what Paul is going to do. Verse 24, this is what Paul says going on. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is the God of creation. He doesn't need anything he doesn't live in temples made by us. He doesn't live here in this building. Like when we leave here on Sunday, God isn't here by himself saying, nobody invited me to their Super Bowl party. He's not doing that. He doesn't live where we confine him. He's not within the boxes that we've created. He came and he gives life to all mankind, life and breath and everything. Every breath you're taking is there by the sovereign will and power of God. As every whale is tracking through the ocean, God is present and knows its course. God knows the trajectory of galaxies that are hurtling through space. God knows the exact moment of the next super blood red blue lunar moon thing. He knows when it's coming. He's not caught off guard by any of these things. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I don't want you to hear me wrong. Um, abundant life doesn't mean more stuff. It means more of God in your life. Abundant life doesn't mean you get all the things you wanted. It means that you get all of the things that God has hardwired and given to you that make your life the most joy-filled experience that you could possibly have. Now, 
We need to understand that as Paul is looking at these idols, like I said, we don't have idols. An idol is something that steals, kills, or destroys. It is something that promises a new reality, but it never delivers. In Greek culture, we had uh, different idols. Zeus, right? I loved Greek mythology growing up. I loved the idea that there were these gods and they could throw lightning bolts. And then I thought, yeah, but that's mythology. Like, we wouldn't believe in these gods today, but I think we still do. We just don't call them by their names anymore. Zeus is the, he's the most powerful god on Olympus. He throws lightning bolts. Now, if I just tore away the title and said, do you know anybody who's living to accumulate power and control in their life? I think we'd all agree that we, we either know them or are them, that we want to be in control. We call them control freaks. We call them type A. We call them CEOs. We call them pastors, people that want to control People don't want to use and leverage fear to get the masses to do what they want. Those are the Zeus idol worshipers. Or Hera. She's a, the goddess. She was married to Zeus, and she was turned to for marriage. Anyone ever made an idol out of their marriage? Or let me reframe this. Has anyone's life felt like it's spinning out of control when their marriage is going wrong? Has anyone felt like they have no purpose to live when their relationship is breaking down? Then you might have been worshiping Hera. Or Maybe Ares, the god of war. Any of you turn to anger to control others? Or do any of you have that first response when something doesn't go your way? You raise your voice, you get red, the steam comes out of your ears. Literally, a child is raising his hand, me. I'm like, dude, if you're already angry, you need therapy. But it's okay, I'm pro-therapy, okay? We know. Parents like, we know. Then maybe the idol of Ares, the anger idols in you. Or maybe Athena, the goddess of wisdom, who becomes angry when somebody counters her wisdom. We call this politics. One side thinks they're right. Another side argues. They yell at each other endlessly. Maybe that's you. Maybe uh, if you want to know, like, do I worship Athena? Ask yourself this question. Do you only watch one news network? Then you might be worshiping the goddess of Athena where your way is the right way. You want to be in your bubble. You want to have confirmation bias squeezed in upon your ears. But maybe you're Aphrodite. You're not all going to get this joke, but Aphrodite is the goddess of beauty. So her modern-day equivalent, um, Aphrodite is the goddess of Instagram models. Okay? Um, people that are famous for, um, for, for posting pictures, and they do these faces now, I've been trying to be um, more present on these devices because there's, this is where some people are present. Like Paul walked through Athens to be present. I've been trying to be present and encouraging people that are young. So even right now, um, I got to Snapchat somebody. Hold on. Ah! Okay. Um, that's coming later for, for those of you who are on Snapchat. And you're like, why would you Snapchat? Because this is where some people are. And instead of worshiping Aphrodite... I want them to look to Jesus in the place where they're living and breathing and being. Let's send this to somebody right now. Boom. You're welcome. Okay. Maybe the Instagram one doesn't work for you. Dionysus is the god of wine, who I have affectionately relabeled the god of suburbia. Okay. That didn't go well. They all make promises they can't deliver on. 
And when you give your life to any idol that's not Jesus, it comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Give your life to your beauty, your beauty will fade. Give your life to power, eventually someone more powerful will come, or you will become old uh, until your power wanes away. Give your life to wine, and eventually your life begins to unravel. We know this in our heads, yet we constantly go back to serving these same idols. Paul wanted to speak into their life and say, look, Jesus, God, gives life to everything. He came to give you abundant life. This unknown God is the giver of life. He's not this thing that was created by man, even though that's a common objection to Christianity. It's made up by men. How can we trust the Bible? I've got answers for those if you want to listen, but we have to have a conversation about it. And then he says this. Paul goes on in verse 26. And he made one man, every nation, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God is chasing down his children. God has put stories in the wind, which is why I believe the Bible uses these parables. The spirit is like the wind. When we feel the wind in our face, do we feel God? Uh, The sun rises and sets every morning because God's mercies are new every day. Do we look at the sunset and just say, wow, that's beautiful, or I can't believe God's going to love me again tomorrow? There is a parable and a story that God has written into creation, and we can choose to open our eyes and begin to see it, or we can just rush along our day. I've been very... um, rushed lately. And ever since I had kids, I used to have these things that um, we call, what do we call them? Hobbies. That's right. And then I had kids and hobbies died. And, um, and my kids are getting a little bit older. They're a little more self-sufficient. They can like go to the bathroom by themselves, do dishes, vacuum, all the things I dreamed that they would do. And um, so I told my wife, I said, I, I just need a hobby. I need something where I can just be outside and be free. And she said, okay, go, go buy a hobby. You know, that's what we do in America. So I went and I pre-ordered this electric skateboard. And uh, trust me, there's going to be a time in the next 12 months where I will have a cast on me somewhere. Um, because this thing goes 30 miles an hour, okay? I'm so pumped. And some of you are super jealous right now. And some of you are thinking you are a super idiot, okay? Um, I'm going to get one of those full helmets, face masks, because this is the moneymaker, because I am an Instagram model. And, um, and I'm just going to fly around Fishhawk and just... I'm going to run into cars. I'm going to take my life in my own hands. I'm going to cross church view and dormant. I'm going to do it without looking. No, I'm not, gonna, I'm not that dumb. Um, but uh, but I, I wanted to do this for a couple of reasons. One is I'm, a, I'm an insight in mind type of person. So like when I pray for you guys, for example, um, I'll pick a neighborhood between here, Brandon, Riverview, this big triangle, and I'll say, okay, I'm going to go pray for this area today. And I'm usually just in my car. And I'll just drive around, and then I'll pray. And if I know where some of you live, I'll say, okay, maybe I don't know the exact house, but I know, like, these people live in this neighborhood. So I'll pray. God, um, we're going to pray for these families today. Lord, I'm going to pray for these children, these teenagers. And I'll just drive through and pray. But I'm in my car. Like, I'm not, I'm disconnected from nature. I'm connected to Volkswagen. And now I'm going to do this on my skateboard. Now I get to be going through nature and stopping in front of people's houses and saying, God, may your presence rest in this house and in this place. And when I'm in my car, I'm like, "Ah, I can't keep praying because gas has just gone up 30 cents a gallon. But now my skateboard, I can just keep praying and keep riding. And when I'm going from place to place, I want to embrace 
where I'm at more. I want to look at the trees and the animals. I want to chase down sandhill cranes and dodge squirrels. And I want to see God's creative powers in everything around us. Now, you may think, well, I can't really look at God's creative powers in Fishhawk. This is the creative powers of Newland communities. That's why every oak tree is 15 feet high, and we all have the same type of bark in our front yards. But there's beauty to be seen if we'll slow down and look. And Paul slows down, and he looks at the lives of the people. Paul slows down, and he sees all of these things in creation that are screaming out, God is here, and God is following you. God is not far from you. And then in that verse, it tells us that God put you here in this time and in this place and on your street and in your job for a specific purpose. God put you on your Instagram account and your Facebook account and your Snapchat account for a specific purpose. And it's not just to talk about yourself. It's to enter in and love others well. And, and here's how Paul is go, going about doing this. He's, he's looking at nature. He's looking at the things that people set up to find significance, worth, and value. And he's saying, I see what you're doing, but I might have a better way. Can we have a conversation about this? I see that you're looking at these gods, and I see that you admire nature around you, and you put these temples in these beautiful places. You set the temples on the hill. I want to teach you about another hill, a city on a hill. I want to talk to you about a different mountain, not Olympus, but the mountain of God, where peace reigns, where there is no more pain or sorrow, where there are no gods fighting because that God is over all things. He enters in. This is what it means to fill every street with Jesus, that we enter in. And you may not have all the body language down. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you not to. I cannot watch an episode of Seinfeld without analyzing the spiritual condition of Frasier and all of the characters, or Kramer and all the characters. I I can't do it, but I want us to begin to at least uh, to walk into somebody's life and say, I'm going to listen today and I'm going to care about them deeply. Whether they're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter. They're an image of God bearer. And I want us to invite people out to coffee just to say, how can I pray for you this week? I try to end every conversation um, that I have with that question because I I deeply want to bring the needs of a person up to my God and say, God, I care about this person. Please, please enter into their pain and show them that, that the pain of their life, this little taste of hell that they're experiencing, can be saved and washed and cleansed by your grace and goodness. And that's also a convenient way to end a conversation with people because then they know, like my close friends know, like you know, if I say, hey, how can I pray for you today? That means get out of my house. (laughs) Paul, as he's doing this, enters into their language. In verse 28, he says, after he goes, God is actually not far from each of us. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So Paul quotes a poet, a philosopher of their time to bring a truth about God into the conversation. And it's a quote, um, really it's attributed to Zeus. And it's from 600 BC. So 600 years before this, this line, for we are indeed his offspring, was a line that they all knew because it was about Zeus. And Paul took that modern saying and showed the truer and deeper meaning, that we are not Zeus's offspring. We are actually the God of creation's offspring. We can take modern things and find truth in areas that are not confined to what we talk about here. 
You can find truth in a brewery. You can find truth in a dance club. You can find truth in literature that is not here. Now, we should always vet things and run things through the grid of the Bible, but we are all created in God's image, so people are drawn to, in a broken way, the the deep truths about God. And if we can begin to see those things in our daily conversations, it makes it easier for us to transition to a conversation about Jesus. Now, here's where I need to um, give us a clarification. There's something called a Jesus juke. Everyone say Jesus juke. Okay, because I don't want us to do this. Here's a Jesus juke. It's when somebody takes a sharp left turn and lands you in a Jesus conversation, and it's terrible. It's like when somebody says, um, you know, uh, man, I really, really, I really hope that the Patriots win today. And they say, you should be rooting for Jesus today. That's a Jesus juke. Like where it doesn't make any sense. Where all of a sudden, a conversation that's about something that is cool and meaningful, like the Super Bowl, gets turned to Jesus. Now, it's, it's okay to do this, it's, but, but don't do it in a way that whiplashes people spiritually. Don't do it in a way where someone says, oh, man, I just wish I had dinner right now. I'm so hungry. And you say, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. That's a whiplash Jesus juke. Okay? They just want a burger. You don't need to say, eat Jesus, sinner. That's a Jesus juke. Paul doesn't Jesus juke people. He guides people through the story. And he sees where people are already looking for something that resonates to Jesus. So if somebody comes to you and they're crying and they're saying, man, this is so broken, I don't know what's going on with my life. Or maybe Wednesday night, one of those youth people, because I know it's not just youth, it's us. We feel alone, we're hurting. And we say, I'm just, I feel so hurt, I'm in so much pain, I don't know how to deal with the situation. If someone comes to you like that, then here's what we do. We, we dig into our story and find a time where we were in a pain and, and we examine how Jesus shaped us through that pain. And we say, I don't know if this is, is going to work for you or directly applies, but there was this one time where, where I was constantly turning to this thing. And I thought that if I just had this, my life would be better. And I realized that, that I was trying to trade Jesus for something else. I was trying to trade friendship or companionship or, or some relationship. And I thought that would satisfy me. But I realized I needed something deeper. And in that... I, when I found Jesus, when I, when I leaned on him in the midst of my pain, he was there for me. I don't know if that's going to help you in your pain, but, it, man, it carried me through. That's way different than someone saying, I'm hurting so bad. My relationship is falling apart. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And instead of sharing an actual intimate moment with somebody of something you've gone through, you say, well, you just need to pray about it. That's a... Christian version of a Jesus juke. Just pray about it. Or when you come and say, hey, I've got this going on, and I'm guilty of this. I say, hey, go, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying about it? Because they're good things. But sometimes telling someone to read their Bible and praying about it would be like handing a blind person a map and say, go find this. We need to walk with people and care enough about their stories. When someone has cancer, are you just walking with them or praying for them from afar? Are you bringing them a meal? We, we've got... Um, We've got three pregnant people right now at the chapel, um, which I've told you guys, if, if you're new, um, the pregnancies at the chapel come in three. So right now, if you're here, you're in the clear. Um, as soon as one more person gets pregnant, danger zone for two others of you. But, um, but we can say, man, I'm, I'm, super, I'm, I'm super excited that you're having this baby because um, 
now our kids' ministry is going to grow. That's really exciting. We're going to teach kids about Jesus. Or you can say, man, having a baby is tough. And, and I need you to know that if you, if you need to talk to somebody, we have a group of moms who have gone through it. Because postpartum depression, that stuff is the real deal. Husbands that look like zombies, that's going to be me. In June, I'm going to be up here with two broken arms, and I'm going to have bloodshot eyes from not sleeping. I'm not going to be able to hold Bella because my electric skateboard is going to be too much fun. Just hold her on rocks. But I want us to enter into people's actual stories, or maybe you're starting a new business. I don't just want to come say, hey, you know, how, how is God part of your business? And by that, I don't mean put Bible verses on the bottom of your menus. I mean, how are you loving and taking care of your employees? How can I come alongside you and help you do that? We have business owners here who have done amazing things for God and who have done amazing things in their area and industry. And they've always made sure that integrity is a formative part of it. This is what Paul does. He sees sharing the gospel as an all-of-life experience where he's observing people entering into their story and showing them that there is a better way to live than the way they're currently living. There's a better person to look to than the idols that they're continually serving. This is what I'm asking us to do today, to begin to think critically about our lives and what God has done in our lives, and to begin to see that our life is not about us, but about God. We are a secondary character. God is the primary character. He is the main character. He is the highlight. But God has in all of us, if you're here today, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, he has wired your story into his. And I want us to all begin to see our Jesus-centered story. So because of that, today, you'll find in the back at guest services, and if not, I'm going to post, post it online after the, uh, this afternoon when you guys are watching the Super Bowl. I'll post online a little three-page worksheet that helps you tell your story with Jesus as the hero. And I would encourage us all to try this today. There are only 50 copies in the back. They're right on guest services. But it helps you to read through the story of God and see areas where you might be looking to something else that's not Jesus to solve the deep problems of your soul. And I would encourage you to begin to form your Jesus-centered story so that when the time arises, when you're walking through a place and you see an opportunity to not Jesus-juke someone but to enter into their story, you'll have something to say that is meaningful and points them toward God. Sound like a plan, fam? Okay, well, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way that you love us. I thank you for the way that you have given us minds to think deeply. And Lord, it is hard to think deeply about many of these things. But I pray that we would, and not for our own sake, but, but for you, so that you can continue to draw your kids into your forever family. Lord, I pray that we would fill every street with the good news of Jesus and that we wouldn't shy away from engaging somebody when they're going through a difficult season. Lord, I pray for those in here who are not yet walking with you and who are still asking questions, that they wouldn't just simply leave without having their questions answered, but that they would press in, get plugged into a group or a community where we can dialogue and have a conversation and hear and rest in the good news that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us and that you have brought us into the fam by faith. Help us today, God, to be savvy followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen.